Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Welcome to another Britflix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today I've got with me writer-director Andy Stewart. Hello, Andy. Hello, Stuart. I'm confident now calling you writer-director, having done a dry run. Yep. Um, (laughs) Don't often do rehearsals, but I feel like we've done a rehearsal now, the opening gambit. Yes, indeed. So I do now know that you were a a journalist-turned-filmmaker. Yes. As a... As a thing, was that was that was that before we go into detail about your films? Was that something that you was filmmaking something that was on the horizon that you wanted to get to, or was some a decision you took to move away from journalism? Um, it, it wasn't really a decision. I think um, certainly with the, the horror journalism stuff, it kind of it kind of gets to the point where you've you've watched so many uh, screeners from uh, distribution companies and the, the quality of a lot of them so poor. Mm. That you get to the point where you think, God, why am I watching this? I could, I could do this. Um, and there's, pro- there's probably a bit of arrogance in there somewhere. Uh, but you're like, God, if this gets distribution, why, why am I not trying to do this? Um, who, who was you writing for? Who was you writing about? Uh, I was writing. I had my own my own site for a while, and we had about ten guys writing for that. So that's long dead and, and destroyed. And then I wrote for a zombie hamster for Colin McCracken for a while. Okay. Um, and then uh, I was writing for. Some screen magazine and stuff like that as well. So, um, so in, yeah. that, in that terms, without without dwelling on on the negative side of what you were saying there about uh-huh. horror films, because I I concur there is there is a glut of absolute rubbish uh-huh. out there. Um, it, it ends up being like um, like watching the equivalent of bad heavy metal. <laughs> it's sort of the most it's the most derivative and conservative yeah. thing you could ever hope to see. Yeah. Yet yet horror is meant to be this subversive genre that that yeah. can that can play with. Play with themes and metaphor, like like a bit like sci-fi, kind of guess. So, where what would be your in your kind of right right this second as I ask you, not like not for you to mm-hmm. be contracted to it. What's your kind of three three sort of favorite uh, horror films that you sort of look to as? Um, for me, the um, The Exorcist is still the purest horror film I think I've ever made. Okay. Um, I guess it's a bit kind of jokey and. Uh, some of it doesn't quite stand the test of time, but it's mm. still the, the purest horror film. Uh, the Wicker Man. Mm. Uh, and, I don't know, something daft right now, like Reanimator. It's something in, that, in my head, I'd, go, I'd watch Reanimator right now. Uh, <laughs> so, I guess, yeah, something like that. Now, I've seen, you're yet, you're yet to make a feature film. Yeah. Right, yes, that's, and, that's true. And you've made a number of shorts, of which of which I've seen three, so I'm going I'm to be yeah. judging you uh-huh. On the three I've seen, okay. but, but I think as a, as a trio, they display a certain a certain common ground. So yeah, I think, I, I think that's fair to say. <laughs> <laughs> and it's interesting who you. The re, I mean, the reason for asking that question wasn't to sort of just get your best of. It was like just to see how direct um, the things I was thinking of when I watched when I watched your films. Mm-hmm. Um, how how direct that, that that the obvious comparison for me would be. Um, so I saw I saw. I think in the order of what they were made, I saw Dysmorphia, Split, and I saw Ink. Yes. And the common ground between them all is that lovely subgenre, um, body horror. Yeah. Would yeah. be the, uh, yes. the easiest way to describe them, yeah? <laughs> yes, yes. So that's what all I mean by that is I was, I was, I was wondering which Cronenberg <laughs> film you were going to name, as he would argue to be the sort of... Um, the most successful, I, guess. I suppose. He, he's hit the most mainstream with, yeah. with body horror. Yeah, um, yeah. The, the fly would normally have been up there somewhere, but I just had that in the back of my mind tonight that I wanted to watch Reanimator, so that's where I, on that kind of without thinking about it thing that you requested, that's kind of where Reanimator. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. It was, I, I was really just to, just to see, but but um, looking at last few years at Fright Fest, which is kind of mm-hmm. my best reference point for horror, body horror sort of 
it's never far away. I mean, yeah. we've had like contracted. Mm-hmm. Um, last year there was bite, which bite. was yep. just an amazing mm-hmm. one, and I spoke to the filmmakers behind that one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one that it's not dis, it's it's not too dissimilar from your. It isn't dysmorphia, but it's a word like that that describes. Oh, uh, thanatomorphous. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's kind of there's, uh, yeah, split has been ref- kind of compared to that quite a lot. Yes, yes, that would probably uh, more something. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I was just thinking of it being the the title being the medical condition sort yeah. of thing. Okay. Um, yeah, the Canadian film, French Canadian. Yeah, yeah. I found I found that too hard to watch. If I'm honest with you, that was that is, it's a it's a tough watch and it's a long it's a long old slog. Yeah, long, yeah, long yeah, yeah, yeah. Which yeah. I think you know, giving. Because yours are, yours are short films, and I think with yeah. this, with that intensity of focusing on a single character, mm-hmm. is you know I think twenty minutes is about as much as you want really when you're watching somebody physically and mentally fall to pieces. Yeah, um, I, I wanted it to go much further, but we couldn't. In the end, we couldn't afford it. Uh, <laughs> it was my, my second shot. Um, <laughs> so, so, so thinking about that, where where does that where's that coming from? Given that, given this, the, I mean, you've not you've not. For anyone that's not seen them, if you were to watch them, they, they clearly they clearly are all to do with the body, yeah. in one way, shape, or another. Where's where's that coming from as an inspiration? What is it you're seeing I, that horror can do that that you're able to explore through this? I, I mean, part of it is um, part of it is my love for body horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a David Cronenberg tattoo, a portrait of Cronenberg on me. But uh, part another part of it is my own kind of, uh, I guess, my own issues with myself and my own kind of hypochondria um, and I think body horror kind of is a way to kind of let you like, or certainly lets me face the things that creep me out and freak mm. me out um, and I know that's kind of where that's certainly where uh, Split and Ink came from, they were the most kind of relatable ones for me, uh, Dysmorphia came more from a couple of conditions that I was obsessed with, I just couldn't quite wrap my head around people's thought processes so now I understand that a lot more having uh, now made the film mm-hmm. yeah I mean for the audience I mean it's weird what, 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 what would you describe what is dysmorphia as a medical condition I mean body it's actually it's actually a kind of mashup of two medical conditions one of them being body dysmorphic disorder which is where uh, people perceive their body to be um, different than the outside world would perceive it necessarily mm-hmm. uh, so a lot of people become fixated upon I, I mean I think everyone's got it to a certain extent whether people think they're too fat too too thin, their man boobs are too big their nose is too big mm. um, so I mean I think everyone's got it to an extent um, no one's entirely 100% happy with their appearance um, but it, it gets it can get to a point where it, people want to augment their appearance and change their appearance and mm. then it's, I never quite get. I don't know if I quite get this right. Body integrity identity disorder. Okay. Or body identity integrity disorder. I can't remember which. Um, but uh, basically, that's where you disassociate with a part of your body. You feel it's alien. It's not part of you. Um, a lot of people then want this body part removed. Then some people go to unbelievable lengths to remove body parts. Uh, it's quite. Quite disturbing, actually. What what the legs people will go to? to yeah, no. I first, I mean, I remember first coming across it, not in the, not in the great bastion of medical journals, but Bizarre magazine. Oh uh, yeah, back in the I 90s. thought you were going to say Jerry Springer. <laughs> but, I've had a lot of people send me links to Jerry Springer. <laughs> oh right, no, 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 no. I suppose, I suppose, yeah. I suppose Bizarre's one up from Jerry Springer at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but no, I remember reading stories about people that would chain themselves to railings so a train could go to, could sever yeah. their leg. Yeah. And I was just, you know, it's, there's the one thing to not see the, the, the limb as being part of you. Mm-hmm. There's another to uh, to take that kind of dramatic action to have it Absolutely. removed. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, obviously you don't you don't go to that that um hyper example, but you do you do give us a kind of case study through your short film of someone yeah. <laughs> going through that and uh, it's a fairly intense thing. Yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's intense enough that I think, we, I mean, we had something like 10 people faint or throw up across our festival run. Um, which... Well, I, I'm not afraid to admit, I'm not afraid or ashamed to admit I turned away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've reached thought, a certain yeah. vintage now where I don't have to prove I'm a man. <laughs> no, no, definitely. And uh, the first few times that happened, I was I was really concerned, and, uh, especially when you're, when you're there and it happens. Yeah. yeah. 
But now I've just kind of adopted that uh, kind of Ivan Drago, if he dies, he dies kind of thing. I think we need to just kind of <laughs> go for it and pretend that it's not. Uh, but, it, but, it, but, but, but I think that's, you know, I mean, this, this, this is an obvious reference for a lot of people, but what you've done, the way you present it and that kind of intensity of the man in the, you know, for, for most of the action, it's kind of a man in a room with no identity. It's kind of, you yeah. know, it, it looks like he could have just been put there and he's, yeah. and he's, he's, you know, he's been locked there. You know, it could be. I mean, obviously, when we get to the end, we realise it's not. But certainly, you 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 anonymise everything apart from the person we're having to focus on with the way you've shot it and the way you turn it. That was partly down to the fact that uh, I didn't really know what the hell I was doing. Um, and it was one guy in one room, so I thought I could do it relatively easily. Mm. Uh, um, so that, 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 a lot of that came down to that. Um, to strip him away of anything kind of identifiable was more down to trying to make the room we were shooting in. As, okay. Uh, but but, but, but yeah. from a viewing point of view, then, it kind of... You can, you can only focus on him. You know, if you watch yeah. any, other, you know, any other drama... You've got paintings on the wall, you know, you've got mobile phone, you know, you've got things going on that you're allowed to look at, whereas what you're making us do is get as close as to his point of view without literally being his eyeballs. <laughs> going sometimes, through sometimes you are his eyeballs. No, yeah, no, yeah, 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 sometimes you do literally give us that point of view, but you move quite cleverly between, between that and, like I say, you, you, bring, you bring an intensity to what is, you know, once it's inevitable what he's about to do, it doesn't make it any less shocking, which, mm. I, which I was surprised at. You know, I mean, when you were writing it on the page, did it feel did it feel just like a process, or did you feel like the dramatic beats as well? No, I, I, I was very kind of. Uh, I tried to be as careful as possible about, and, and pretty much exactly what you see on the screen is exactly as it's written in the script. Oh wow! Okay. Um, there's, I mean, I think it's probably about. I'd say about 97% what's written on the script um, made it onto the screen. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, writing it, it was, it was, that was the exact process I had. I think in the script that it refers to it as a kind of nondescript room. Mm. Uh, just because I didn't want to be partnering as well. I couldn't, didn't have the budget to be out um, spend a lot of money on uh, on set dressing and stuff. So it was, we keep it as, as basic and as dirty clinical, kind of, keep it as clinical, but at the same time, you would worry about the hygiene mm. uh, as possible. Uh, that's kind of where all that came from. And it's, I mean, it's strong, isn't it? Because if I remember rightly, it starts off with just the the shot of the arm, doesn't it? It's like yeah. the, arm, the arm on the plastic table, or the hand on the plastic table. Yeah. Or plastic-covered yeah. table. So we're, you know, we're immediately, without knowing knowing too much and giving the title, we're kind of aware of where we're going here. Yeah. Um but it is a really unsettling process what you do. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I, if, I, if, I, if, it, if it was worth me doing a podcast, I'd applaud. Um, <laughs> it'd be just me clapping, which would be silly. Um, yeah. So imagine there was a lot of applause. Um, no, it was because, like, when he starts getting out his equipment from his bag, mm-hmm. even the bottle of water and, and sort of partway through, wiping the sweat from his brow... I think I think I think a common I think a common theme in the three of them that I noticed because it's the one thing that I was thinking. Sweat. Well, the sweat and also the shaky hand because obviously once, yeah, yeah, once yeah, yeah, you yeah, commit yeah. to doing any of these acts that you 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 uh, you show you dramatize in your films, then you're playing you're playing with no, notions of adrenaline, pain, and how the bod, human body reacts to being put through, and then obviously how you react because if it's you that's doing it. Mm-hmm. It's not the same as if someone's if someone's attacking you, you're a victim. Whereas if you're doing it to yourself, you're, you're liberated, aren't you? I suppose, especially given yeah, the conditions absolutely. you're playing with here. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's kind of something I tried to touch on as well in Ink um, later by not actually showing them doing anything bad to anyone. You mm-hmm. know, has them, but I think to explicitly show that you lose the you lose the kind of empathy for them to an extent. Um, you know he's done something terrible, but I think at the same time it's um, you soften it all and you try to make the person as human as possible. Um, and it's easier then to empathise with his pain than if you see him doing a whole bunch of horrific things to other people. No, no, no. no. I was going to say, well, just just for the benefit, because obviously the titles are not as obvious as, as, as the first one we're talking about. Do you want to give it like a little, a brief synopsis of the other two films that certainly I've seen? <laughs> yeah. Um, split flavour. 
Split is uh, the story of a guy who uh, is not long out of a relationship and uh, he's trying to deal with the part that he's played in the relationship coming to an end and he's so kind of depressed and fed up and becomes so isolated and alone in his flat that his uh, body starts to break down around him. and Ink is about a guy who is obsessed with tattooing, uh, can't afford to do it the, the normal way, and uh, adopts him uh, adopts more nefarious uh, processes in his uh, attempts to get tattoos. Nefarious? Some might say extreme. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, it's pretty clear, but I'd say it's nefarious. He's, uh, <laughs> He's not. He's not asking for these people. Uh, I don't think. No, no, that's true. That is true. That is true. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. If we if we if we move on to split, then because it's it's it, again in that one, you've you've kind of um, and this isn't this this might seem like a mad comparison. Um, there's there's a condition called fibromyalgia, which I don't know yep. if you're aware of, which is yep, like yep. the physical massive manifestation of pain mm-hmm. as a result of you you being stressed or anxious. Mm-hmm. They don't know specifically whether it does or does. If you speak to one doctor, they'll say it does, and another doctor says it's a myth. But I feel like what you did with Split was, it's like the manifestation of his guilt yeah. literally eats him up. Correct. That's exactly what it is. It's an allegory for guilt. Um, yeah. And it's something that, uh, I mean, I've been in relationships that ended in a similar way and had to deal with my own culpability and uh, and and come to terms with my behaviour. Um, and I think it is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's about guilt. Um, uh, does he actually get eaten? Does he rot away in real life? That's for the audience to determine. Or is it simply uh, an allegory for guilt? Um, so, yeah. Are you, are, you, are you saying there that if I, was, if I literally was in the room, <clears throat> I'd be on the curtain, you didn't know I was there, I'd be actually looking at a pretty healthy man. And what I'm what I'm seeing is a. Uh, I, I don't know, Stuart. That's entirely. That's entirely. Oh, you That's entirely for you. In my head, it happens um, because it's more realistic that way. But yeah. I think um, we shot we shot a whole bunch of things that didn't uh, for where the film ends. We actually shot a scene that would come immediately after that, which would leave it in pretty much no doubt what happens to him. I mean, it's uh, we, we shot a scene where he's. We've got a skeleton in the bath, covered in blood, and the bath's mm. all full of slime and gunk and stuff, and flies and maggots. Uh, yeah, we. In the end, I thought it was just it was too crass. It was too far, and it was mm. just it was just an excuse to to do one more disgusting thing in a series of disgusting things. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, it wasn't until you said that that I, I started to think maybe more on the metaphor. Because when I watched it, I took it as being literal, and yeah. it's that it's that it's that lovely conceit of of. Well, he's you know in horror you have to commit some sort of sin for bad things to happen to you, and clearly yeah. we get the reveal on on his sin, which is he was a bad lad, <laughs> yeah. and um, not that you deserve to have your body start to become diseased and rot on you, but at least you could there was a cause and effect in terms of what the action was in the thing. Mm-hmm. Where 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 was I mean you say you say that you know you you've you you're drawing on some personal experiences and everything, but where. Where, what's the what's the uh, inspiration to sort of push it to the extreme? Because there's one thing to have a bit of an open sore. There's another thing to do what you would do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm a big believer in if you're going to show someone, uh, if you're going to show someone in pain, you need to. It needs to look like it hurts. Mm. Uh, and uh, for me, whether again it, it, the metaphor is explicit or whether it's some more direct, mm. this guy is rotten as a result of his actions, he is eaten alive by guilt. Um, for me, it was after doing dysmorphia um, and the, the reaction it had had with people, um, the kind of very visceral reaction it had at festivals. Yeah. Um, I, knew, I knew I didn't want, I, actually originally I was going to do ink first because I had written ink at roughly the same time as I wrote dysmorphia, although it was much more slapstick in the writing. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was, well, it was, it was a much more kind of uh, comedy of errors. I mean, some of that still exists in the film to mm. an extent, um, but you just have to look a lot harder to find it. Mm. Um, but after doing Dysmorphia and the tone of Dysmorphia, um, I decided I, want, I really wanted to do this. And I uh, kind of came around, I had a discussion with someone, one, actually one night watching The Fly, mm. and um, I said, I'm gonna, I, I think I could do something similar for... A couple of grand, 
And I was told, you absolutely can't, you absolutely can't. And I'm talking in terms of a, the special effects side of things. Is that your producer talking at that point? Uh, no, it was just a mate. Okay. <laughs> just one of my mates said, no, you absolutely can't, that's ridiculous. Um, I said, we'll see. So, um, so yeah, a lot of it, and a lot of it came from um, more wanting to wind up a mate mm. than, anything, <laughs> than anything else. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I had a, a decent crack at it, considering I didn't have any money. <laughs> well, it's, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I, I can only give you my opinion, but it was um, it, 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 it's, it was fairly convincing to me. I didn't feel like <laughs> I was watching the constraints of a budget. Yeah, I mean, when we were really constrained in terms of the budget, and, uh, mm. and uh, it got to the point when we were in the planning where I realised I can't do the special effects on this the way I've written them. Um, because originally, I mean, I did myself and one other girl did all the effects in Dysmorphia. Mm. Um, and uh, I realised pretty quickly, I can't do this. What am I, what am I thinking? So it was at that point we brought, we brought Grant Mason on to do the effects. Um, and he, he, I mean, he ate up a lot of the budget, mm. uh, of which we didn't have much. Uh, so he did us a real solid then. From a screenwriting point of view, then, what does that look like when you say what the, the effects you put on the page? Yeah. What, you, what are you actually saying that, that, that makes you see, oh, Christ, that's expensive? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the way I wrote it, and, the, the, and it was actually something that Grant scaled back purely in terms of me wanting a performance, was I had written him to be far more skeletal towards the end when he was shuffling around, far more bone on show. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was a lot more. There was a few kind of teeth gags as well, which was, again, a kind of nod to the fly. Mm. Uh, kind of, I mean, he pulls out his hair falls out, and then his nail, the nails come off, and he squeezes the pus out his fingertips and all that fun stuff. But there was a lot of stuff that was just going to push the budget through the roof. And to be honest, I didn't really know how I was going to do it um, myself. And then when Grant came on, and I realised I could afford him to do so much, mm. um, he he was very quick to say, "Look, the more skeletal you make him, this the harder it's going to be to get." to keep a performance on him. Um, and I think that's something that happens in Thanatomorphos as the film progresses. It just becomes this massive slime that's kind of lost all personality or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of lost who it is um, to an extent until it really is just a massive slime at the end. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because if you said that you, you, you held off in the end in terms of what you leave us with as opposed to what you maybe had originally yeah. thought... I think that's right because as a viewer, you can't. If, if it no longer looks any, you know, when it looks in pain, yeah. it's kind of all bloody and open sores. We can kind of go, oh, that's that's not far away from where I am. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, once you go to exposed bones and and looking like you've just walked out of a of a forty day fast, yeah. you're kind of you're moving me away from a reality. I mean, it doesn't mean it's not effective, but mm-hmm. it changes my view of it because you kind of. You know, I think I think of um, you think of like those closing sequences of something like the Martyrs, yeah, where it's so far removed you just can't imagine what that pain must have been like. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, yeah. I imagine it hurt, but um, <laughs> but um, it's not something I can relate to. Whereas you know, all the hair falling out, blood pouring, every you know, slimy yeah. skin everywhere, and open sores on your forehead, those kind of things you kind of get. And given given the the the, the allegory and the, and, and the metaphor of of the pain of real guilt being what we're seeing. And I loved your kind of interplay between that. We're seeing the, the, the physical manifestation of that and then you intercut it with these these kind of memories of what, I guess, what a bastard he was really, I suppose, or what a heartbreak. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I think I, I tried to make it start off kind of um, simply um, and then it gets silly little things like phones buzzing uh, when, you're, when your girlfriend's sleeping uh, all those little things start to escalate and escalate, and uh, yeah, and until you you do know, if, yeah, you bastard. And actually, uh, it's quite an interesting response depending on the gender that watches it. Okay. Uh, yeah, women. Well, most women have a very kind of surgery attitude, and most guys are like, well, I don't know if the if the uh, the punishment fit the crime there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just like, well, it probably did. And I'm right in thinking you, you, you. I mean, you keep mentioning the word gag, so I got we one that I thought I spotted. Mm-hmm. Um, when obviously he's got no fingers and his phone's doing something, he's trying to slide his finger across the screen, and obviously, <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
he kind of laughs to himself, I think, doesn't he? At that yeah, I think I think he laughs at the, the ridiculousness of the whole the whole situation. It was his phone that got him into trouble, and uh, and and now it's completely kind of useless to him. Uh, and that was that was something that tickled me uh, when I was writing it. Uh, well, yeah, because because he goes and he, he goes from being finger you know finger not like normal fingerprintless, and then it's his yeah. solution is to go on the analog phone and he can press buttons, which I just thought was a, it was a it was a kind of moment of levity and a very yeah. <laughs> a very a very indulgent bit of pain for somebody really. You know, I do I do try to put levity in. I mean, uh, I think a lot of people kind of forget that dysmorphia ends on a joke. Um, it kind of ends on a punchline. Um, and there are little bits in Split, and there's some in Ink as well, although, again, they're quite hard to find. Um, but, yeah, I think it's it's important to have little kind of sly glances and things that tickle me, uh, certainly as the writer and as the director, things that make me laugh. <laughs> well, it's a, very, it's, a very, it's a very human moment, isn't it? You, you've, you're giving us something which is extraordinary, and then in the midst of all that extraordinariness, you've gone... Look, here's ordinary life. Your phone ringing, yeah, and if yeah. you've got no fingers and they're covered in plasters, <laughs> then you can't use your phone anymore. And that's kind of—it's just a wonderfully little human moment in a yeah. a horrible sort of <laughs> rot, rotting man way, you know. Um, I was going to say before with um, with dysmorphia, it, I didn't say I, I finished the thought of um, the the guinea pig series and the Japanese films, yeah, which yeah. have that kind of. I mean, they range from what fifteen to sort of thirty-five minutes. They're not like proper feature films, are they? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. I think Flower of Flesh and Blood's about yeah. forty-five, fifty-four minutes. Mm. Forty-five, fifty-five minutes. But that kind of that focus, that idea of the nondescript room and then the horror, the horror of horrors happening, yeah. and you're not allowed to turn away because actually there's nowhere else to go yeah. except for the horror that's on show. Certainly that with dysmorphia. So I would guess then ink is ink in in terms of. Um, and I think the important thing is, I mean, yeah, dysmorphia has got the, the, the elements of what, what what you expect with a show, which is almost like set up and pay off. Mm. You know, I'm not saying there's not a beginning, middle and end, but it's it's not, you wouldn't call it like a mini feature film, whereas no, no, no. I could easily say that Split is like a mini feature film. It feels like you've got, a, within the short space of time, I have a first, second and third act. And yeah. with your non-linear storytelling, you give me enough explanation to understand literally why, what's going on, even if I don't understand how people... Even if I can, once I go with the conceit that that can happen, if you're if you're unfaithful, mm-hmm. then you give me the reasons as for why. But then with Ink, you've kind of gone, you've gone, you've you've definitely made what I would say is like a mini feature film. You know, that's there's definitely a beginning to this film. There's a point where we kind of know what the fuck's going on, and then we get the end. It's kind of, and it's, that's I think that's really clever, uh, and it, and it, and. and uh, and, and 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 you can see certainly with ink there's a there's, there's a lot more involved. Was that was that you, you were saying before that you'd already written ink before Split? Was that what you were saying? Yeah, yeah. I kind of when I made the decision to try and make a film, I mm. went off and wrote. I don't know. I think I wrote about four or five scripts, kind of in one big, one big kind of writing session. I think I had this kind of romantic notion in my head that I'd never made a film before. I could just somehow magically go off and make an anthology, a body horror anthology film. And I pretty quickly realised that that was a stupid idea. <laughs> um, and should just do what most people do and make short films uh, right. to try and hone myself as a filmmaker. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of where the decision to do this mafia came from because it was one guy in a room. I knew I could do the effects relatively simply for for no money really. Um, uh, and then when I decided to come back to to Ink after having done Dysmorphia and Split and mm. the tone of both of them, uh, I was like, I can't, I'm not in a place where I should, where I want to do anything where where I feel comfortable doing anything where that level of kind of kind of brevity in it. Um, I feel like it needs. Uh, it needs to be dark and mm. I did trim the script quite a lot and I feel that some of the story um, gets lost a little bit now um, I think it, uh, and, I, and that, that's my fault um, and I'm, I'm kind of aware that that's the, the film's biggest stumbling block is that there's maybe maybe a slight disconnect in the story um, in, what, make, in what way? I don't know, I feel like uh, I kind of feel like the character's well developed, I think, uh, but I think it needs still needed more. Um, it needed it, it needed more reason to be because there's uh, some of the backstory I feel and some of the 
kind of gets lost a little bit. Are you, say, are you saying what, what happened that got us to this moment in time? Yeah, I, I just feel like, because a lot of people are still like, uh, a lot of people that say to me, why didn't you just get a tattoo? And I was like, well, I can't afford a tattoo. Um, it's, it's a financial thing. It's not a fear of, fear of pain or, um, or the fact that he's banned from the tattoo studio. He's banned from the tattoo studio because he's a creepy guy that hangs about outside staring in the window. Yeah. Um, and in my head... It's not the only studio <laughs> that's going to kick him away, mm. uh, and uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I, I, never, know, I, I never thought about the cost of tattoos. I mean, I've got a couple myself, so yeah. I'm familiar with the with the art form and everything. Mm. And yeah. I mean, uh, to get it to get them done right, it's. I mean, it's it's an expensive old business. I mean, oh, I, I, know, I, I know my, my day job. I work in a tattoo studio. That's okay. My, that's my my day job. Um, I've, I'm literally come in from the tattoo studio to me. Um, but it's uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh... well. No, what I was going to say was is, is is that the cost of the tattoo wasn't my wasn't my need that that motivation uh-huh. isn't something that entered my head. I just thought he's a psychopath, you know. And psychopaths, that's, that's another and psych- way to look at it. <laughs> and psychopaths and psychopaths make logical decisions from their point of view. You know, yeah, they make decisions that we would think uh, are abhorrent. Mm. Um, they make these decisions because they think it's right, uh, mm. and uh, or they think that that's the best way to go about doing things, and um, yeah, maybe that's a maybe that's a way to look at it. Uh, mm. But certainly, um, in my head, in the writing, it was it was a financial thing. I mean, he's living pretty much living in squalor. Yeah, uh, he lives in a some kind of awful layer. <laughs> uh, I kind of think it tends to go with the territory when you start killing people. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, again, I was never specific that he was killing people. Uh, mm. I guess you could probably peel skin off someone and then for them to survive it. Yeah, uh, yeah, I guess. I mean, like you said, like you were saying earlier in the conversation, is you don't you you concentrate on him. You you give us enough of a clue yeah. as to his mo, as it were, and then we get back to the the focus on the pain that people will put them through, mm-hmm. put themselves through. Sorry for the pursuit of. Whatever this has to do, so on the on dysmorphia, it's removing limbs, and in in um, in ink, it's about getting tattoos from other people. Yeah, <laughs> which <laughs> is just—I mean, I'm looking at my my forearm now. I'm just thinking, if that happened to me, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, I, I yeah, it, it freaks me out. And the very thought of uh, that Stanley knife that I've used that I used in uh, dysmorphia and ink, the same Stanley knife. Uh, at, the fact, the very thought of that cutting through my skin in that very deliberate way is what is a real kind of massive fear of mine. Uh, something, so that's why no. I keep coming back to it. The same as fingernails and teeth uh, freak me out. So that's why they kind of turned up and split. I uh, think the Stanley knife is a very underrated symbol of bloody evil. Yeah, because yeah. obviously they are such an everyday object. Yep, and the blade's so small. Yeah, you, you really have to get quite quite tight on it to use it yeah um, so yeah and it's such a a nasty little nasty little implement um, yeah I use I use one in um, it, I didn't use it to the to the graphic effect you did but I had I had a um, a, a vicar character for, coming out of a lake and when he gets to the, the the bank he puts down a Stanley knife that's in his hand we explain why at the end mm-hmm. but it, 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 it doesn't make any sense, obviously, that he comes out the water with a Stanley knife. Yeah. But it's such a, it's such a striking object. It's such a... Yeah, no, I think they're... Um, yeah. And being British, I think, is they, they have a... They do have a... The, the fact we call them Stanley knives, for starters, not box cutters, is, yeah. Um, yeah. is also... You know, we've, we've, we, they've got an identity, haven't they? Yeah, and, they've got that, that brand name thing on the go. Uh, like a Flymo. Yeah, 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 yeah. And obviously, you know, in, in England and Scotland, you know, football violence wasn't uh, wasn't yeah, known. Yeah, obviously, come from Glasgow, we've got uh, we've got a real, sadly a real huge knife crime uh, kind of thing going on. Uh, we always have had. Yeah, and, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things that um, I think most guys in Glasgow will have pulled on them at some point in their life. Um, I know I have. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're nasty little things. They're great for what they're intended for, but uh, yeah. 
And so ends the uh, DIY review of uh, yeah, the podcast. Did, uh, They're good for what they do. Um, so when you're when you're you're you're, you're, you've embarked on this career from uh, this this offshoot of a career away from sort of writing articles about horror and presumably interviewing filmmakers and stuff to yeah. making movies. Now, when you when you made Dysmorphia and, and and subsequent films, what if that was your first one? Then what did you what did you feel like was your big lesson learned? Into I mean, budget, budget constraints aside, but as a filmmaker, what you were trying to capture, what you try the things you're trying to emote through what you're putting on screen, what was it you learned about the process? Um, listen to other people was the okay. first thing I learned um, and I, I, I do think that uh, a cinematographer's opinion is worth listening to um, I think that's invaluable you can't be too, you can't be so precious about your work that mm. you're unwilling and, or unbending in terms of your in, in terms of your cinematographer's advice or in terms of anyone in the crew's advice really I think yeah you need to be open to listening to what other people t- uh, what other people suggest. Uh, it's only a suggestion; you don't need to take it. But a lot of times, it's worth listening to, and quite frequently, worth giving a shot. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. But mm. you give it a shot. Um, uh, so that was that was the big thing that I learned from that. I mean, and that was a real massive learning curve for me because I didn't really know, like I say, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, I'd never made anything before. Had so, you visit, had you, with, with your journalism, had you visited many sets? Yeah, I've been I've been to a lot of sets. Um, I'd seen the kind of I'd seen the process from yeah, yeah, yeah. from big scale down to down to little indie things with kind of similar sized crews. Um, to well, how, I'd, I'd interest then. I'd be fascinated to know how different did it feel then when the kind of shoes on your other foot? Because oh, massively. Um, it's easy to be. I think it's easy to be on the outside looking in, and, and you don't really see all that. You don't understand all the mechanics that went to the point of actually getting there. Yeah. I mean, when you're on the set, all the pre-production is done, and you're there for the actual. The actual process, if you like, the actual, you're there for the party. Yeah, and uh, so you, it's, you you don't really give a second thought to all the the nonsense that goes before that, the the all the disappointments, locations falling through, and uh, actors pulling out, um, <laughs> and just everything that goes through everything that goes through it to that point. Uh, it's it's you're there, you watch it, you don't really take in the process hugely. I know for me, I'd watch it, but I'd constantly be thinking, right, I've got to interview such and such, and I'm going to interview this guy, this guy, this guy. Mm. You're, you're, you're still kind of on the clock at that point, and yeah, you try, kind of try to see what's going on, um, but it is kind of hard to to get too involved in what's going on in terms of as a writer on, on a film set. Mm. Uh, so there was actually very little of it I was able to take into my own films. Um, so basically, like, you just knew what one looked like. Exactly, pretty <laughs> much. Yeah, uh, I knew. Yeah, I yeah. knew. You weren't going to mistake in a butcher's for a film set, was you? No. no well, no. I mean, actually, most of the most of the stuff in Dismorfield was meat. Uh, it was real meat. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I had to visit the butchers prior to shooting the film. So now, the the interesting thing compared to sort of a lot of the people I speak to who do sort of drama and it's not a question ever asking because it wasn't, it's not necessarily a challenge, but given the amount of special effects you're playing with Mm -hmm. the amount of shit you're producing, that's going to be slimy, red, yellowy, black, you know, not easily washed out with a handful of personal. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with continuity and and special effects? I tend to shoot gore chronologically. Okay. Um, shoot all the shoot as much other stuff as humanly possible, uh, and then when it actually comes to gore, um, I tend to try and shoot it as chronologically as possible because then you're never really taking gore away; you're only adding more. Right, right, right. Um, so it, it gets you around the continuity to an extent like that. I mean, if you look at something like the Smorphia, yeah. that blood puddle just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and yeah. that was that was done on set. I mean, that was we just kept adding blood and kept adding blood and tried to do it as um, as much in the kind of process as possible. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think it gets to the point where continuity is no longer a, a real big issue um, because this guy's losing so much blood. It, okay. It's it's just it's easier to just keep putting more down. Um, Got you. Uh, with split, it's just kind of yeah. We just keep 
we shoot one thing and then we add more blood um, and we just keep building it up in layers like that because again continuity is far more forgiving um, we've only very occasionally have we ever had to reset anything because um, I, I did the reason I ask is I did chuckle when I was watching um, Split not often but I did um, when when he walks in he's wearing like either light grey or white tracksuit bottoms or something at one point yeah he's got like white pyjama bottoms yeah on. I'm like the fuck was going on there man yeah. <laughs> that was for me kind of uh, was that, was that, I mean, that was a stylistic choice, obviously, so... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it actually came from, uh, I remember, like, ages ago, I went to this, I went to this party years ago, I'm, I'm talking, like, uh, 20 years ago. Okay. Went to, no, nah, maybe not quite that long ago, uh, about 15 years ago, went okay. to that party. Okay, what old you to it, go on. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was, the guy that was hosting the party, after a while, he kind of, he was a bit of a, a bit of a tool. Right. And uh, he kind of disappeared at one point. He came back through with these this kind of white silk robe on, like, and uh, these white silk trousers. And to me, that kind of came, became always kind of became in my head kind of synonymous with being a bit of a douchebag. <laughs> uh, and uh, when I when and kind of when you realise, as you start to realise that Austin's character is a total douchebag, uh, and the split, I thought I'm going to put this guy in a white robe and white uh, white pajama bottoms. Um, and uh, yeah, because to me in my head that was always the that was always the the kind of archetypal mm. douchebag costume for the ang that kind of the I encountered when I was younger. Uh, uh, so that's kind of where that came from. Uh, I like that. I like but again, that. we had we had four or five different costumes for him. And, uh, oh really? We 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 kept upsizing the costume as the process went on, so yeah. it looks like stuff's hanging off him a lot more. Right. Um, so yeah, we, we kind of. Try to without because obviously it's it's easier to add stuff on in that so you can't really mm. take the weight off them so you have to make the things around them look baggier um, look looser uh, so yeah we upsized this costume I think every but it was it was a, it was a nice stylistic ch- touch for you to like have him almost like walk in like it was a sort of Sunday morning advert for some washing powder and yeah. then and then <laughs> suddenly we, we remember that clearly. This man is rotting away, and the blood stains start to appear. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, it was nice that. The other, the other thing that, that that struck me about your work, and this is a very universal thing, not not particularly to do with you doing horror. And I think, given the conversations we had about some of the maybe backstory or explanation, not necessarily being completely meted out or not meted out to your satisfaction, is the fact that you. You resist a lot to to, to to fall back on dialogue. In fact, I'd argue you've got no real dialogue in any of them. No, no. The only one where really any dialogue to speak of is the voiceover in Dysmorphia. Yeah, yeah, that's the only explicit one. Because even in Split, it's like it's almost like almost like um, that was all. To- I mean, Split. The, the interactions with Austin and Sheen in Split was was all totally improvised. Yeah, there was no dialogue written. In. I don't believe there was any dialogue. And the, I can't remember if I wrote dialogue in the script actually. But I'm pretty sure I didn't. I'm pretty sure I just said, oh, "You guys, you need to get it from A to B. Hmm. Um, go for it." Um, so, what would I mean? What were the challenges there then for, for you as a, as a as a storyteller when you're not relying on what people say to help? Um, I think a lot of it is uh, Austin and she, and they'd they'd spent a lot of time together, kind of coming up with stuff, and I, I was quite interested in letting them do their own. Letting them do their own thing and see what came out naturally because they were both quite, they were both really natural and um, that's kind of when I learned just keep, just keep shooting stuff, just shoot as much stuff as you can, um, shoot everything. Uh, I mean, we shot probably shot about forty minutes over all of them just sitting talk. There's one shot in the film where they take a photo while when they're lying in bed, they take like a selfie, um, and I think we shot about forty minutes of them just rolling around giggling in bed. Um, that was a lovely cut, by the way, between the photograph and what was in the photo frame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was lovely, yeah. that. It's yeah. the exact photo that they take as well. No, I know it is. That's why it was a kind of, for me, it was just struck. Because I was like, there's a, there's a, and then it was like, fucking hell, yeah, he's done the same. Because you show me the photo first, don't you? Then. The photo, uh, yeah, the photo, then we go into the selfie and then we come back and that's the photo, right. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Focus pull through the photo back then. Yeah, end. no, it was really, it was a really nice thing. Because obviously, people listening might be thinking, all oh, right, there's a bucket of blood here, but it, it, it Stylistically, you're 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 not skimping on on sort of trying to give us a cinematic experience. It still feels. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I mean, it's it's easy to be to be really cheap and, mm. and just go for gold. And I know uh, 
I don't kind of hold. Certainly with those three, in the, the new films that I've done, there's very little gore. Um, uh, but, I mean, for me, there should still be some element of dramatic storytelling and, and um, some kind of character that you can empathise with to, to any extent. I think it goes, goes fine, goes great, but it shouldn't be the it shouldn't be the only thing your film's got going for it. So, you, I mean, you mentioned film festivals already, so where, where have these films and other ones you've done, where have you shown it? Well, I've, I've played at Sitges, uh, I've played at Boston at the Underground Film Festival quite a bit. Um, and have you, have you gone along then with your film? Uh, no, not, not as much as I would like to. I mean, we've, we've played at a lot of festivals, mm. um, and I, I try my best to go to as many as possible in the UK, um, but... I think it gets. I mean, a lot. I know a lot of these festivals, obviously through through writing as well. You, mm. you spend a lot of time at festivals, and I know a lot of these festivals have got real. Um, they're really tightly budgeted, and a lot of the filmmakers. Mm. I mean, I would love to go to a lot of them if I did. Plus, having a bit of a crippling fear of flying, uh, <laughs> I would love to go to them. But there's financial reasons and the fact that I'm a big coward um, <laughs> kind of stop me from going to as many as I would like to. I've been a lot been a lot better now. Um, I fear of flying's not quite as bad as it was. Yeah. Um but yeah, certainly my goal going forward is to attend as many as But you have but you have attended some yet. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So what would what would you say were the benefits for you as a filmmaker att- as, as attending as the filmmaker as opposed to going along as a journalist? Um, did, did you find that it changed your perspective of a festival being there as a filmmaker? Did you? It it, it does. Um, it certainly does. I mean, it's far more. It's far more relaxed atmosphere um, when you attend as a filmmaker, um, and you spend a lot more time. Well, I certainly I find I spend a lot more time talking to people about about films. Again, when you're, I feel like when you're off the the writing clock, if you like, um, everything just kind of feels that bit more chilled. You, you're able to open up a bit more and 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 talk to people about films, and people are, people come up to you and talk to you about your films, and mm. you're able to kind of and even if people come up and they don't necessarily like your films, um, they tend to be a bit open for you kind of coming to bat for your film um, and just explaining the why you did things and why you've gone down this road and why you decided to do things that way, um, and then people can say, oh, the people tend to kind of. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Whereas if you're a writer, you're there, you watch the film, and you tend to cast your judgment on it. Mm. Um, very occasionally, you can meet the filmmaker after, and that's changed, but um, or changed very, very slightly. Um, you can kind of go right. Well, I spoke to him. I can kind of see why he's done that now, as opposed to just uh, yeah. So it's, I guess, I guess, I guess. You, I mean, look, I, I mean, I'm like you. I've done. I've, do, I've gone as both. And it's like when you when you're at a festival with the film. You're, you're a guest to the film festival, aren't you? Yeah. Whereas if you go in as a, as a journalist, you're there to watch films and write about them. Yeah. Which is a you're, fairly... You're working. It's, it's working. And then mm-hmm. I, I suppose you're working um, till the minute you step down off that stage after doing the introduction to your film, if you're lucky enough to get to do an introduction for your mm-hmm. film. Um, and until either you sit back down in your seat and that's you, or you come back up and do a Q&A or whatever. Um, until that point, that's really all you're working. And you're not really working because the work's been done. Of course it has, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really all you're doing is exactly what I'm doing right so, now, and that's just talking. Um, you're just telling people um, exactly. about your film and about your process. Um, Which is kind of the, that's kind of the nice end of it, isn't it, really? Yeah. The and the process is done by then, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hard, the hard work's done, and it's... I mean, I'm one of those weirdos that I don't really like watching my films in the cinema with people. But Woody Allen doesn't do it, so you're in good company. I, do, I tend to just kind of pull my hat down. Uh, <laughs> just uh, kind of... Kind of look so, until so it's done. What we... we um, people won't know because we, we did this off air. Um, you're... In the, you're developing... You don't have to give me the name if there's no, yeah. there's no title yet, but... Are you are you developing a feature film in the sense of you're all funded, or are you developing a feature film as in to get funded? To get funded, uh, yeah, we're not funded, not funded yet, unfortunately. Uh, we've actually just finished. Uh, well, I say we just finished uh, two or three weeks ago. Now we shot another another shot. Okay. Uh, so uh, what was that yeah. called? Um, kind of between names just now. On uh, the shot, on the shot, you've shot. 
yeah. in between. Yeah. <laughs> We're not at the stage yet when I'm having to put uh, titles or anything on it, so okay. uh, I like to leave my options open um, until I'm at the point where I'm either putting out a press release or putting out a trailer, because mm. uh, I mean, things can change pretty quickly. If, uh, actually, for a while, Split, uh, almost right up until the, the end, Split was called Love Hurts. Okay. Um, and I was trying to trying to get the Nazareth version of Love Hearts, but it was going to destroy me. Uh, so uh, uh, in the end, I just went for. I, I thought we'll just go with splits, nice and simple. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So where so where if if you're in the process of trying to raise finance stuff, have you have you written the screenplay then to your feature film? Is that all in the bag, yeah. or are you developing yeah. it? No, no, no. I've got I've got screenplays written. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of them actually was uh, the screen uh, that I was really quite keen to go ahead and do was mm. uh, the screenplay to Remnant, uh, which was the, the shot we did after um, the shot we did after Ink, uh, which was actually written as a feature, and then I kind of broke it down, did it as a short, said, "Can I get this out? We can maybe do it as a kind of proof of concept thing," mm. um, and then go back to the guys at the bite. They've just announced their new film. Um, okay. It's almost exactly the same. Oh, bugger. Uh, so I was just like, ah, you bastards. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah, it's one of those things, I suppose. It's that old, uh, you, you snooze, you lose kind of thing. How do you find that, that jump up from short film script to feature script? Um, I don't really find there's much difference. Um, I don't really, I mean, it's it's more work in the writing. Uh, <laughs> But for me, whether it's six pages, whether it's thirty pages, or whether it's ninety pages, it's it doesn't really change the process to me. It doesn't change the the way I approach it. Mm. It doesn't really change how many times I revisit it. Um, so, what, in that sense, then, what is your what, what's your habit as a writer? Then, how do you approach the the, the page or your computer or your whiteboard or your index cards? Yeah, you... uh, it's, I, I, I use a whiteboard. Okay. Um, I, t- uh, I take a lot of notes on my phone. Um, I kind of I don't generally sit down until I don't really generally sit down and start writing until I at least know how my beginning, middle and end are going to go. Okay. Um, so I've got all that. I, I know you hear a lot of stories about people who go, oh, I'm really struggling with a way to kind of bring this to a conclusion. I'm loving it to this point, but mm. I've never really experienced that problem because in my head I always know how it's going to end. Unless I, unless I get to the end and I go, actually, I don't need that. It's kind of, I've kind of covered it. It's already coming to an end a bit more naturally than I, than I had it in my head. Um, I understand from a creative writing point of view why somebody might want to go ahead and not know what the end is. Oh, no, definitely. But, all, but, but from a script point of view, scripts just being a different medium than a novel. Novels can go where they want and do what they want yeah. because you can obviously you can go internal on a character, can't you? Whereas screenplays are always about what we see. And largely speaking, you're restricted to 120 pages, arguably yeah. 90. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, yeah. So knowing your end doesn't half help in terms of, even you can deviate as much as you like, but as long as you know where you're meant to be going. It's a bit like having a GPS, isn't it? You go, right, I'm setting off over there, but I'm going to go in the Highlands for a bit and it's going to tell me you need to turn right at some point. Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing. Um, So that's interesting. So so what, are you you an early early riser writer, Midnight Oil? Uh, Yeah, I'm a a late night writer. Okay. Yeah, I do my... I mean, I'm so easily distracted, honestly. I'm like, a, I don't know, some kind of Jack Russell or something. Like, if anything, like if the telly's on, hmm. that's it. Forget it. I'm going to be glancing up every two minutes. Um, I need to I need to actually set the time aside and sit down and go, right, I'm writing. Um, hmm. And that's what I'm doing. Um, because, like, if, the, if anything happens, like, I'm, oh, what's that? What's that over there? I'm going to go and take a look at that. What's that? Uh... Uh, if it makes you feel yeah. any better, I've, I was listening to Abby Morgan, who did things like Suffragette and, and River, mm-hmm. was on telly recently, and she talked a lot about wasting lots of time looking at YouTube videos of no interest or... Lo- oh, no, yeah. at- um, the, the very fact that I write on something that's connected to the internet is, uh, <laughs> is dangerous in and of itself, because occasionally I'll go, I'm just going to quickly jump over here and make sure I've got my facts right, um, so I'll jump over and then... I don't know, some clickbait article will pop up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll be like, oh, I'm just going to go just quickly. Uh, it's no harm in just taking a look at that. And then before you know it, half an hour's gone. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you're watching satires of Donald Trump. And you're going, why was it? Why am I watching this? Yeah. yeah. So what's um, so what? Uh, without giving us too much away, because if you're not, if you're not, a, if you're at an early stage where you're not, you're not funded and stuff, we don't need to put them, put the jinx on or anything. <laughs> but but are you are you are you developing a body horror feature film? Then is that what is that? Um, you, are you following on from what you've kind of shorts I've seen? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, I mean, I did tone the body horror stuff down quite significantly. Getting into Remnant. Okay. Uh, I had done the small films, and I, I still think Remnant has quite a strong body horror element to it, mm. but it's just not as explicitly gory uh, as... I mean, but it is a horror film, though. That you, that yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's definitely yeah, a horror film. Yeah, it's, a horror film. it's much more rooted in drama. Mm. Um, the kind of the way I've been... Uh, I mean, it's at, at its core, it's a, it's a cannibal film. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's much more about uh, this kind of relationship between a man and his woman uh, uh, his woman that sounded really misogynist and really terrible a man and a woman uh, his partner uh, as they kind of struggle to come to terms with uh, kind of the inevitability of one of them one of them dying um, kind of like beaches I suppose to an extent really? Uh, well what uh, the Bette Midler film? yeah kind of like beaches without the, the cancer and with more uh, Potential for eating each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it, it's kind of yeah. It's and how long? Well, just 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 as a kind of ballpark figure. Then how long? How long was it from sort of here's here's the idea, and then well, your producer uh, goes, go on then. That's interesting because uh, actually, the script, the original script, was written as a short film called Banquet, which okay. we actually shot, mm-hmm. and um, we actually shot right after the small fair, right. Uh, um, again, I didn't really know what I was doing. There was a lot of things that I did wrong. There was a lot of things we sat down and I was like, I really want to go back and, and kind of revisit all this. And there's yeah. some stuff I'd like to reshoot. And um, I don't think he would mind me saying this, but uh, Gordon, who was a lead in Dysmorphia, hmm. uh, had a pretty pivotal role in, in Banquet when we shot it. Right. Um, and then I was in the process of trying to do the crunch the, the numbers to get back into this big fancy house that we were shooting in and trying to get all this stuff back together. And I was like, oh God, this is going to kill me to have to go back and get this house for another day. And, and then Gordon was like, listen, I need to tell you I've got cancer. Um, and then he lost all this weight through treatment. Um, he looked nothing, nothing like the character that he was in the film. Um, and in the end, I was just like, do you know what? Sack this. Um, you live and learn, you learn your lesson. Um, I guess probably most, a lot of people have probably got a short film that they had to bend that will never see the light of day. Mm. Um, so I kind of learned that pretty quickly. So when I say Split was my second film, it was the second film that anyone saw. Right, uh, right, 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 right. Banquet was... Well, I mean, that's hell, of a, that's hell of a story behind the reason why. Bloody hell. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, he's fine now. He's, mm. oh, he's totally all clear. Um, fully, fully in remission and everything now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally, Fantastic totally, news. totally Fantastic. sound. So he's, he's, he's great. And that's, well, that's I mean, awesome. but I uh, yeah, so I kind of just dragged it out, extended the script out, totally revisited it. Yeah, I really like the kind of core cool story of it. Mm. Um, I actually had written, I wrote it again maybe two years ago, and it was totally different. Um, and then when I actually came to revisit the script, I was like, Do you know, I don't like this at all now. The, the direction I went with it, it's far more gory, far more awful than I ever thought it could be. Mm. Uh, I'm back to the kind of the conceit of the short film, and I'm going to extend that part out of it because I think the the relationship between the man and the woman and the build up to this event um, is far more interesting than the way I had. Written. So it's actually been written as two feature films. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, probably best we, we should wrap up now. We've been talking for a good hour nearly now. Ah. So it's been a, been an absolute uh, blast. Um, obviously, two of those films I watched, they're, they're, they're available password free, aren't they? So I can put those... Yeah, the Spoffian Splatter. I can put those in the show notes for people to t- check yep. out your, your body horror. And uh, thank you very much for giving us your time. No problem at all. Talk about it. It's been really interesting. Um, and please keep us posted on 
your uh, your feature work and other other shorts you've got. You know, we certainly try. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll welcome you back with open arms. You want to come on and talk about? Certainly, if you're uh, you're, you're you're in the process, you get into the process of going to make your feature film. Keep us posted. Of course. Um, but thank you. Yeah, thank you very much for having me, man. If you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.